0: Amen. I love the last part of that song. It's a declaration. You know, it's it's a declaration saying we will do what you want us to do. We will move where you want us to move. We will speak where you want us to speak. See, because the way Jesus Christ set things up, Remember, he died on the cross. He paid for our sin. He rose again, but he ascended. that'll be fine. Just turn it down. And he ascended to heaven, and he is at the right hand of God. And the way he set things up is to work through his church, work through his body. We're called the body of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. Right? That's His church Not just the universal church But His church That is the ones that have accepted Him Into their heart as Savior That believe in the gospel That believe that He as the Son of God Came down, died on the cross for our sins Rose from the grave Sits at the right hand of the Father which is what I said So He works through us To do His will So there's a little caveat to that. We have to be willing. In order for God to work in our life, we have to be willing to let Him work in our life, right? So I I love that song, because it's a statement, a declaration, at the end just saying, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. I will do it. And I trust you in what you're doing. So I, I hope that is your declaration this morning, and I hope that you allow him to work through you, and not not just this morning, not just to speak to you, although he'll do that, but I mean throughout the week. You know, to be active and eager to do his will seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. It's really extraordinary when a person gives their life over to Jesus Christ and works their best to keep no barriers in that relationship. Yeah, that's really our job as Christians. It's not our job to go out and talk to people. It's not our job to go out and and do something good for Jesus makes us feel better. It's our job to seek Him intimately in relationship. And it's our job to make sure nothing comes between that relationship. All the other stuff, that's what's called fruit. Fruit of our lives. Okay, it's, it's the love, joy, peace. All the fruits of the Spirit that manifest as we draw close to Him in relationship, right? That's not something we do. That's not something we set out to manifest. The fruit comes when He works through us. That's what this church is. This church is a culmination of a calling and people in it that he uses because they have a relationship with him. And, and that's, that's what's focused on, right? So I want to encourage you about that this morning. Friday night was amazing. I, I know many of you were there. We had a, uh, the fast ended Friday night at midnight. Um, we, we've been on this 40-day fast, right? And so Friday night, that ended. I know there's still some of us uh, that, that are going on through Tuesday night. But um, it ended Friday night. We ended it with this... I, I don't want to call it a service. It was kind of... I suppose you'd call it a service, but really it was it was a time where we all came together. We started at 9 p.m., and we ended a little bit after midnight. And we wanted to... Pray through and worship through just the last few hours of this fast, and if you if you were here, you know what i 'm talking about, but but I just want to say the Lord showed up in a powerful way, just a powerful, powerful way and i, w- I won 't go through the whole night and what, what happened, but I will say one thing that was probably the most encouraging thing to me and and the Lord spoke and he, he said many, many things. But one thing he said is, get ready to run. He said, you have been walking for a while. And that walking is a representation of learning, of training, of being filled with him and learning to to use the very tools that he's given us and let him work through us, right? When, When you're learning, you go slower. Things don't come at you as fast. They can't. Why? Because you're learning how to do it. You're learning how to deal with it. We've been, we've been talking about spiritual warfare. We're learning how to deal with spiritual warfare. We're learning how to deal with these things. Is this bugging people? It's bugging the heck out of me. I keep hearing this. I need to get one of the face ones. Anyways. Sorry. Pet peeve. Pet peeve time. But when we're learning, we go slowly. Right, and and it's not even that we purposely go slowly. It's like God is God has His hand on our forehead, like this, and just slowing us down so we could learn. You know, you could picture that in your mind. We're we're like pushing like this, and He just slows us down. But it's so we can absorb. It's so we can learn. It's so we can understand because see we can't see what's ahead like He can. We've talked about each one of us having a book in heaven that was written before the foundation of time. In that book is God's will for our lives. See, he sees that book. He knows what's ahead. He knows what's coming up. When we are faithful and just to let him do whatever he wants to in our lives, he looks at the book and we agree with the book. We want that for our lives. And so he says, okay, you want that? Let me train you. He holds us back during that training time But there comes a point where he, he, he doesn't resist The running And he says, okay, it's time to run See, we always want to run I think, it, I think it's in our nature To always want to move forward To the next thing God, it's been so long I want the next thing And he's like You're not ready yet But there comes a point when you are ready and that's what he declared Friday night. He declared, get ready to run because the training time I can't remember if he said it was over or it was almost over or something like that. Your foot is on,
1: the, is on
0: that. It's, it's what? It's the
1: track. When you're oh, running track, your
0: foot is in the ready. So so our, our feet are in the ready position. You're
1: in the down position.
0: I off. I hated track. <laughs> But I will love this kind of running. Okay, all of you who played soccer, y- y'all are whacked.
1: Okay, That
0: and track, it's just nuts. Because if you don't go practice soccer. I played soccer for one year. You go practice running. That's what you do. You run and get in shape. That's why football was so my sport. Because it's like you go full blast for about eight seconds. Then you get a rest. <laughs> Okay, anyway, sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> Rabbit trail, my bad. So, so last week we talked about, you know, I, I gave you a word that the Lord had given me the previous week about God bringing a holy chaos to what's going on, right? And we talked last week about how he does that even in our lives. But on, on, a, on a much larger scale, what he's doing in this country, what he's doing in the world, you know, I've preached many times about Revelation 3.9 and, and how, if you haven't heard it yet, you're about to hear it again. What that talks about is coming to the point where the bride of Christ has an influence in the world such that the world looks up to the church. Boy, crazy to think about, isn't it? And specifically, the Jews. Specifically, the Jewish nation. In the end times, it will not be. Jesus will not return. He said, I will not return until you ask me to. He's not talking about us, not talking about the bride. This is after the rapture. This is after the tribulation. This is when Jerusalem and all of Israel cries out, We want you. That's when he comes. Okay? But before that, there will be a time where the world, and, J- and Israel specifically, will look at the church, at the bride of Christ, and see God's favor. That's not happened yet. Okay? There's a lot of things. I don't know if you pay attention to the world, or even the United States for that matter, but there's a lot of things that need to change for that to be the case, Right? I mean, we look at even our government. We look at how things are set up. And there has to be massive change for that to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but I can look back and and it's real easy to get discouraged and and think that, wow, that change is going to take forever. Lord, I, I, I so badly want to see this change in my lifetime. I want to see you come in my lifetime. And, and with the state of things right now and how you are pushed out of literally everything, it's going to take forever for it to come back and, and for Revelation 3.9 to even be a possibility. But thank God. Right? But then God. We've seen many times in Scripture where where Jesus lays something out and then it says, but then God. See, God has a plan. All we have to do is be willing to stand in agreement for that plan. We don't even need to know the plan, quite honestly. You don't even have to know the plan for your own life. We don't even have to know the plan for the United States. We don't even have to know the plan. Let me make it specific. We don't even have to know the plan for Tuesday. We have just a huge weighted election coming up, right? And, And by the way, yes, okay. By the way, I want to state this very carefully. Okay, but this will never be a pulpit that is unwilling to speak truth, no matter what. See, because it isn't about trying to build some sort of group here that brings in good tithes and and we have a good solid financial church or anything else. It's about truth. And the truth is that God is doing a move. He is doing a movement and has begun a movement here in the United States that will branch out through the entire world. And you look at that and you think, how in the world do you get that? How in the world do you get that? Because all I see is division. All I see is chaos. All I see is hate. I want to tell you that that's all you're going to see when Satan has control, which he does. If 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 you don't think he has control here in the United States, pray about it. Pray about the Lord opening your eyes because he does. He has complete control over what we call the seven mountains. What are the seven mountains? And I won't go into this except that the seven mountains are areas of influence within society. Okay? And we're going to go into that here in a few minutes. Okay? But it's important to understand Satan controls those things, but it was never God's desire for him to control those. It was never God's desire for Satan and his influence to control the media, to control Hollywood. To control government. And this one hurts. But to control the church. But he does. He does it through influence. He does it through deception. He does it through us not being willing to stand up and say, God, I want your will. Instead, what we do is we pray what we think his will is. When you go before the courts of heaven, and we've been talking about the courts of heaven, when you go before the courts and you you go as a witness and you pray, what you are literally doing is standing up before the court of God as a witness, and whatever you are spewing out of your mouth in prayer is what you are laying down as a witness before the court. So when I say, Lord, this is what I want... Because I think it's what you want Then we have to be careful Because sometimes it's not Sometimes He doesn't let us in on his plans fully That's why what's the Bible say? Pray according to my will Right? So we can be safe In everything that we do we can be safe in going before the courts and going in prayer and saying, I agree with your will. Period. I may or may not know what that will is, but I agree with your will. I stand in agreement before your court that I desire your will. That's what it says when, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. Right? He said, Your will be done. He's praying to the Father, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? As things are going on in heaven right then? No, that's not what it means. It means what's written in the books before time. That's what God's will is. Don't be confused. Don't assume His will is is acted out everywhere on this earth. See, it is not His will for us to be in pain. It is not His will for us to be have these negative things in our lives, that's the will of somebody else. That's the will of the accuser that comes before the court to go after us. Right? And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So when we pray for His will, we are standing in agreement for what the Father wants. So let's go back to this fact that right now, we're sitting smack dab in the middle of of a very difficult election. A very divided time and, and by the way Not just a divided church And the world I'm talking about division within the church There is great division everywhere Over this election we're gonna, I'm going to do something a little different today That I've never done before And I'm doing it because God told me to Okay, We're going to watch a video We're going to watch a movie It's about a 35 minute movie Okay, or video. What it's it's a guy preaching. Okay. But I'll tell you why I want to do this. I've told you before what the Lord's told me. Okay? You you you've heard and and I am just speaking as Greg Twiddell now. Okay. I've told you my story about what happened to me almost fifteen months ago. Okay? It was September or er, I'm sorry, August of last year. When I was supporting someone else, I was supporting Marco Rubio, and the Lord told me to do something different. He told me to support somebody I did not like at all. Okay? He told me to support somebody different. I didn't understand that. And, and it was like, okay, Lord, I, I, need a, <laughs> I need a confirmation on this one. Because I can't picture that you would want someone in the White House that does not hold the same character values that I hold. I can't picture that you would want something different than what I see as the example of the church. But he's just, he just said, trust me. He did bring a confirmation to me, however, and it happens to be the guy that we're about to listen to. Okay, his name's Lance Walnow. He is, as you'll, you'll hear him at the beginning, he is the most well-known, unknown person you'll ever meet. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is, and yet he is, he is all throughout government. Okay, he is not a preacher, although he preaches. What he is, in his, just to give you a little background, because you won't get that on, on the video, what he is, is he, an, he is an advisor But not just to a particular group. He advises governmental leaders for global positioning. Okay, He works heavily in Israel. He works heavily in the United States. He works all over the world with these world leaders and what they do. Well, he happened to be at... When Alexa and I were ordained last September, a year ago last September, he happened to be there. And we got you know, we got to hear him, and that was the first time we, we saw him and and everything else and got to receive from him. And one of the things that he said was confirmation for me. And I'm not gonna take his thunder because he'll he'll talk about it here, but but he was asked to be an advisor for Donald Trump. And it was funny because he had the same reaction I did. What? (laughs) You want what? And so I just, as we begin to watch this, he'll explain the rest of it, but I want to encourage you to understand that the Lord is at work. Okay. I don't want you to look through a lens of what's going on around you. I want you to look through a lens of, God, what are you doing? One thing the Lord wanted me to mention last week, and I didn't, and, and th- this is part of what Lance talks about, but the Lord gave me the name Cyrus as an example of how he uses somebody who doesn't even know the Lord. Cyrus was in... in, He was the king of Persia, okay, back in, in the Old Testament. He was a king, a leader, an ungodly man. He was not a believer. He was not an Israelite. And he was used by God. God, 150 years before it happened, 120 years before Cyrus was even born. In Isaiah 45... God called Cyrus his anointed. Not just that I would use him, but his anointed. Okay, here here you have a person who is not a believer. As an anointed, what does that mean? Someone who has the hand of God on them to do a work. So what happens? Okay, Persia takes over Babylon. Babylon had Israel as slaves. Cyrus not only freed Israel of their slavery, which God used him to do, but then he he helped them build the temple, rebuild the, the temple that had been destroyed. He was God's chosen person to help God's people. So look through that lens as we listen to this. Go.
2: It's always... Um humbling my primary way people introduce me uh, is interesting most people have never heard of who I am so I'm the best probably the most well-known unknown person I know the uh, calling of God sometimes takes you into public places but a lot of the action isn't actually in public a lot of the great activity is hidden away and it's in unusual places and I think that uh I think the next move of God is going to be more a saint's move than a celebrity move. It's going to be made up of uh, people who aren't necessarily well-known in earth, but who are well-known in heaven. And when I found myself at uh, Trump Towers, for instance, I was finishing a book, I was working on a book on transformation. I'd never written a book before. And so I had publishers and people wanted me to write for them. And and, uh, I really just didn't... uh, I didn't know how much to tell because a lot of stories that happen are, are personal, they're secret. You can't, you can't necessarily be a ninja and be advertising what you're doing all the time. But I felt like uh, it was time to write. How is transformation happening, how are nations being affected by the gospel and how are nations being lost? America is in the challenge of its uh, survival because we really haven't understood the mechanisms of how to shape culture. We don't know how to shape a nation. And it might be that in a matter of days now, 20 days, we're going to make a decision that is going to affect the next 40 or 50 years of what America is like. And that's why I know that uh, Jim feels so strongly about this election. That's why I'm glad that I'm here right now. So let's talk for a minute about the prophetic destiny of the United States, where we are as a country, what shapes culture because... I believe, and I was reading your book upstairs in the condo, uh, in the room that I have, and I was fascinated about how much our thinking is tracking along the same lines. For instance, I believe that when Daniel says that the, the, uh, the book, when he got the prophecies in Daniel, the book is sealed up until the time of the end. I believe we're living in the day when there's a breaking of seals. And what that means is that so much of what has been taught up until now has been conjecture about what God actually is going to do. And if you're, um, if you're operating with conjecture, then you don't have the confidence to know how to navigate. So what if God is about to break out on the earth in an extraordinary move of His Spirit, and He is going to do so in shaping nations in ways that we haven't seen and what if America is right now about to engage a prophetic journey itself that we, the greatest uh, nation since uh, Rome in terms of military power and since World War II with the guarantor of peace and democracy in the world what happens if America doesn't protect its own blessing and it doesn't guard its own privileges well then America in a sense becomes a parable In the book that I wrote, and I just released it, it's interesting because I wrote the book uh, this last year as a new book. I actually had another book I was going to release. And the moment I went to Trump Towers, the Lord said to me, Your assignment is Donald Trump and the American Unraveling. I had to literally stop what I was working on and say, Well, first of all, what is it about Donald Trump? He's just a candidate running with like 15 or 16 other candidates. What makes him any different than anyone else?" And the Lord said, Donald Trump is a wrecking ball to the spirit of political correctness. And uh, immediately, I knew that he was going to redefine the entire narrative of how electoral politics was going to operate in America. People want to treat him as though he's some kind of a, an aberration, a fluke, when in fact he isn't. He is the, uh, he is the single um, candidate that God from the beginning had separated from a pack of, by the way, very great evangelical candidates were running. What was it about Donald Trump that uh, that attracted the Lord? I'll tell you what I believe it is. The uh, At the end of my first trip to Trump Towers, I was in a meeting with the original group of evangelicals who were gathered together, and I came home and said, why am I even involved with electoral politics? This isn't really what I want to do. I'm involved with in business, consulting, and stuff like that. And the Lord said something interesting. He said, I'm answering your prayer. And I said, what prayer? And the Lord said, every time you pray in tongues, you say you want to see America get restored and saved. And I'm getting you involved. I realized it. I had never actually, for a moment, thought, and I'm, I'm unabashedly Pentecostal. I, I think the gifts of the Spirit are indispensable to what we've got to do. I think Daniel operated the way that he did because he was he's moving in the gifts of the Spirit. I feel that, you know, I'm praying in the Spirit all the time and I'm actually asking God to change and save America and evidently he must be getting involved with Donald Trump. So let's talk about this guy. The uh, next trip I have to go meet with him, before I go up there, the Lord says, Isaiah 45. Now, I'm not one of those people that hears the Lord all the time. So I'm not like a prophet that every week has a word from heaven. And so when I do hear it's an unusual thing. And I said, Isaiah 45. Now, typically when a preacher is quoting a verse, I act like I know what it is and I look it up later. But I couldn't fool the Lord. I didn't know what Isaiah 45 was. So I said, Isaiah 45. So I went and grabbed my Bible. And I opened it up and I flip it open to Isaiah 45. And I'm reading these words. And I'm saying, Thus saith the Lord to Cyrus. Whom I have taken by the right hand. Thus says the Lord of Cyrus, his anointed. Who I have taken by the right hand. To subdue nations before him. To loose the lawyers of kings. To open doors before him. And I thought, Isaiah 45. Is the next president the 45th president? And uh, I go, you know, grab Google, and I go, look, well, Barack Obama was uh, 44th president. And I thought, well, but he was reelected. But you see, you maintain the same jersey even if you get reelected. So it's 44 twice. The next president is 45. And I said, oh, my gosh. Nobody at that point, when I was hearing that, was thinking that Donald Trump was anointed to be the 45th president, let alone a Cyrus. And so I'm asking the Lord, I'm saying, Cyrus. So I'm studying Cyrus. Cyrus was prophesied like 100 to 120 years before he was born. God had called Cyrus into existence. This is, catch this, a secular ruler, not a Jew. And so this starts messing with my head. Because I'm saying, I like Huckabee. And I like, I got friends, all my pastor buddies. Like Ted Cruz, great Christian. Father, Father preaches seven mountains. Preaches my message. And I'm in Texan. I'm thinking, well, we got all these great evangelicals running and people that love Jesus and are praying. Why in the world would the Lord be looking at Cyrus? Well, because God chooses secular leaders who are anointed. And sometimes I hate to say this, but if God is trying to wake up his church, he won't pick Joe Osteen for president. He'll actually, and let's face it. I don't want to say this but there's like a religious spirit that can even get on the church where we're disengaged from culture we're not engaged with elections we're, we're, we're self-absorbed and affluent and half ungrateful and not, not guarding the garden that God has given us and then predators have gotten into this garden and Christians have been uh, un- basically we've been asleep at the switch I'm telling you tonight I encourage you and tomorrow think about that you haven't been crazy, Jim. What you've been thinking is good. I think there is a seal being broken right now that God is releasing. God's using your platform in this ministry to help articulate a whole new dynamic for the church engaging the battle for nations. Amen. Because what we want to do is we want to separate ourselves from the, uh, the arena where... Politics and arts and business goes on. And we want to somehow think that if we can at a distance pray, we can affect it. But the challenge of the Great Commission isn't pray ye for all the world, but go into all the world. And while we've gone into nations, what we haven't done is got into the systems that are in the nations. Just being in a nation doesn't change a nation. You actually have to engage the culture. So uh, I'm looking at the Cyrus thing and I'm saying... This is going to go down like a rat sandwich, because most of my friends are, uh, we've got we've got Ted Cruz and Huckabee and, and uh, Dr. Ben Carson, i got friends after friends, and I'm saying, watch Donald Trump. You know why? Because as I'm reading Isaiah 45, it says, I have anointed you, though you have not known me.
1: And so the first thing every evangelical
2: wants to do when I'm with them and we're at a meeting with Trump is, well, as he's saved, he's born again, try to get him... to try to get him to talk our language and, and give us an assurance that he knows Jesus. And I'm stopping and thinking about this and I'm saying, well, wait a second. In history, when God anointed Winston Churchill to deal with Hitler, nobody in their right mind today turns around and says, well, the Lord should have used somebody else. He wasn't exactly a good Christian. His cigar's smoking, watered down scotch, drinking ways. Well, that happened to have been that Cyrus got anointed to deal with Adolf Hitler. And curiously enough, Winston Churchill was the answer to the prayers of his generation. And when he dealt with Hitler, better than even some of the evangelicals who were alive at that time. What did Churchill say? This is a battle for Christian civilization. Donald Trump understands something. Even as somebody who I'm told he's prayed to the Lord, to me it's irrelevant whether right at this point in time. Whether or not he has uh, said has a prayer that matches my playbook for what he needs to be. If he's anointed like a Lincoln for a crisis. If he's anointed like Churchill for a crisis. If he's anointed like Reagan. I'll work with him later because he loves evangelicals and is surrounded by them.
1: Does
2: that make sense? Trump gets the fact. That the Christian narrative, the narrative of faith, that he's saying, make America great again. As he started out the journey, that was his language. What most people miss is that during the journey, he began to get closer and closer to evangelicals. And he loves Pentecostals. He doesn't quite know the difference between an evangelical and a Pentecostal. But he loves the ones the spirit, Bill, because they're the ones he can listen to and, get, and gets excited when they're talking. So, I'm telling the truth. He listens in a room. Like anyone who's kind of talking, they start talking, he's slapping the table going, I didn't know that, I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah. I like got a camp meeting for the first time. But, the, uh, but he gets the fact that Christianity is one of the lost uh, narratives that shaped and made America great. And he has banked and bet more on the church and expects more from Christians in shaping America's future than even the church expects from itself. <laughs> from the beginning, I could understand that. I said, Why is he the, the thing about Trump that fascinates me, the reason why he's perfect for chaos is because before the terrorist events happened in Brussels, Belgium, he said, Brussels is no longer the same. It's not the same place it used to be. For two weeks the media beat up on him and said, What kind of a statesman insults another country? And then the terrorism happened, and you have 100 people, 120 people gunned down in restaurants. Everybody's talking about terrorism in, in, in uh, Brussels. He had called it out two weeks before it happened. While well, he's opening up a Trump uh, hotel in Scotland, he says the Brexit vote is going to go this way. Five points uh, against Brexit, uh, British exiting from uh, the European Union. Trump called it, he said they're going to do it. What's amazing about Trump is he has a prophetic intuition. Similar to Churchill, Churchill was pushed out of politics, people forget this, because his narrative for the future was what they called too dark, too gloomy, too dystopian. It's the same words they used to describe Donald Trump's speech at the Republican National Convention. Too dark, too gloomy. The fact is, if you are prophetic and can see what's coming in the future... You're not being dark and gloomy. You're actually being enlightened because the person who knows what's coming knows what to do when it shows up. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I began, I began to look at this and, and, and made my notes about it. And then I felt like, you know what? All uh, right. So I wrote the book, The Chaos Candidate. Chaos Candidate and the American Unraveling. I wrote it. What's weird better is I just released it a week ago. And it's already an Amazon bestseller, which is kind of weird. And I did it in Jerusalem. I'm part Jewish, so I'm down in Jerusalem. My family bloodline are Cohen's. We were the Levites. We were teachers. So you got a tongue talking Levite here with you tonight.
1: <laughs> and, uh,
2: and while I'm there, I'm thinking, why in the world did I commit like 10 days to being in Israel at an election time? If anything, I should be in the United States right now. And I was praying with uh, intercessor Tom has a friend of mine. He goes, The word of the Lord can go forth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So, while I was there, I launched the book on the, during the Feast of Trumpets. I said, it's Donald Trump during the Feast of Trumpets. If the Lord's in it, it'll go.
1: <laughs>
2: Boom, it went. Then from a hotel after the infamous um, 2005 uh, audio clip came out. I gotta let, Let's get real here. Let's talk about this stuff. So I'm down there, and I'm working with diplomats, because I do training with government people. And I'm dealing with diplomats, and I'm so upset watching how... This 11-year- old incident is being brought up because you know, this has been like an assassin's bullet ready to shoot. And the American media is going to already hit this thing as though it happened last week. forget a decade and a half ago what's going on with the guy's life. So I looked at them and I said, "What can I do? I'm in Jerusalem?" The Lord says, "Make a video. Just make a video." So I go to my room. This is crazy. I do a video from Jerusalem, launched a book from Jerusalem. The video goes almost like 3.8 to 4 million viewers watch the video, so that's probably the one that got circulated to you. And I said, you know what? You can literally be in Jerusalem or any as long as you're where God called you to be. You can touch the world from where you are. That's what you're doing here. You're touching the world from right where you are, right here. So as the uh, as as and here's what I said in the video because. I am convinced of this. In the book, I hit uh, the three chapters of Trump's life. And when I was dealing with an editor, the editor said, hey, you know, you need to, you need to you know, remove stuff. And I thought, I don't know what to remove. I want to leave some of this in because so I think it's important. There are three chapters in Trump's life. Chapter 1, where he's growing up and learning how to be a billionaire. Chapter 2, where he's the playboy, billionaire, trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. Chapter 3 which happens around 2005, 2006, where he decides that there's seeds of destruction. These are the quotes. He doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs, he doesn't smoke, because he saw his brother Freddie die of alcoholism. So he has no vices, but he is a notorious woman's man in New York. Now, this is the interesting thing. Know this. The nature of sinners is that they sin on occasion. So, his one problem is he doesn't have a value system regarding you know, relationships. But he deals with it in 2005. At the time when this comes out, he made a decision. This is the irony of it, how the devil works. That he was going to get married and that he wasn't going to be known as somebody who couldn't be stable in marriage. he be a committed husband and focus the next decade on being an extraordinary father so that his children are raised properly. Now, he can't articulate that because oh, it takes a Christian to sit back and go, here's the chapters of your life message. To him, it's just that all the garbage you've heard that has been coming out of him has been canned, paid-off media assaults from a very sophisticated, corrupt political machine. He made the shift in 2006. Has been, that's why his wife says that's not who he is. That's him talking, but that's not the man I'm married to. Because they had a serious discussion about what kind of married life they were going to have. So you've got a man committed to his wife, committed to his family for 10 years, has been wrestling with this sense of destiny about being an executive in the oval office and decides that he's going to put everything on the line in order to in order to serve that calling. Now here's the challenge. He is the chaos candidate because he's the only guy with the prophetic acumen perfectly suitable for the chaos of where America's going. Because where America's going is the shaking. What you want is that as I said with Churchill Churchill's out of office because he was saying he was predicting chaos. He was predicting the threat of Hitler. Nobody wanted to hear it until Poland, until Hitler arose, and they realized the only guy who called this thing right was Churchill. And then they then they literally drafted him into the prime ministry. <laughs> Trump is built intuitively for the battle that's about to unfold. He knows that the evangelical church and the local church and Christians in general are the backbone to the stabilizing of the American culture. He knows that in whatever crisis comes, there is a that the, the American people can make it through, but it's going to require faith and it's going to require community. On the other side of that agenda what you have, I'm sorry to say is um, in, in the other party is a machine that is ideologically driven it isn't driven by the ability to adapt to issues or time. It's driven by its own internal agenda. That means that when I'm dealing with Africa right now, the number one problem that world leaders have in the United States is that we used to colonize nations years ago, um, By, by uh, or England particularly did this, by subjugating and then developing business, such as in India and parts of Africa and Sierra Leone, where England actually built this global empire and then had to uncouple itself. And nations around the world said, well, you colonized us. America actually never did colonize. What we did was we did trade. But what America is doing now, which is so unusual, and liberals are all complaining about America's sordid past taking over nations, we're tying financial aid into all the nations of the earth that depend on us to their agreement to package and include our homosexual values with the finances. In other words, we are discipling nations with with a perverse religious agenda through government power. And so, basically... If you were God, what would you do with a country that has the enormous influence the United States has and it's reverse discipling democracies globally? Where Trump comes in, you have the wrecking ball to the whole agenda that has been going on for the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years. You have somebody that actually is capable of prophetically navigating in the chaos because he's actually built for chaos. That's what's fascinating about him. But I want to take five minutes out to show you guys how cultures shape. Because if you're like me, you'll say, how did this happen, Lord? How did, how did America go from being the land it once was to the land it is now? And it's not a complicated subject if you have a picture. Sometimes a picture can just increase your IQ on something like 20 points just by looking at it. Satan shapes nations, remember this, by deceiving. He has to get access to the mind. Satan has to shape the mind. So the number one power of the devil over nations is called deception. The enemy seeks to deceive. How, does, how do nations get discipled? Why are nations important to, even as a subject? We tend to look at souls. And I'm going to challenge you on something. We look at souls as the primary end time harvest. I'm going to suggest to you one of the updates that God wants to give us is that we're not just fighting for souls, we're fighting for nations. Because when you fight for souls, you accidentally surrender your culture and yield your nation. And then if you lose your nation, you're going to find it hard again to be able to have a harvest. So when we think about nations, the Great Commission is go, make, disciples, right, of nations. In the end, Jesus comes back, there are two kinds of nations. Two kinds of harvests. Goat nations and sheep nations. Now think about this. Because for years I'm looking at the end time harvest of souls. Let's bump it up to where the Father wants us to go. God isn't just interested in souls. We have a hundred million souls that are going to heaven in the United States. We have the highest percentage of Christian per population of most uh, industrialized countries. We're losing our country. Because we don't have an engaged Christian community. Because we haven't understood how to make disciples of nations. But uh, since 1948, there have been some 100 democracies, about 120 uh, potentially. But let's just say that there are 100 democracies that are out there. That's 100 nations since 1948 that have become like Israel. Consider Israel the fig tree nation. Jesus said, look at the fig tree, consider the fig tree, and then all the trees. All the trees refer to all the democracies that came about when Israel became the first democratic nation in the Middle East. Democracy is important because democracy gives you the freedom to preach, the freedom to gather, the freedom to worship. Those are fundamental freedoms that God wants for the gospel to be able to influence culture. And so therefore, America is the guarantor of democracies. Why this election is so important isn't just about us. It's about our ability to preserve a global order of fragile democracies that can crumble, and when America goes down... Christianity comes under siege globally because the only reason Christianity is allowed to exist in these other countries is because of the economic and military power of the American concept.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's why Satan is aiming at the United States with every gun he has. So what you have is go make disciples of nations. There's two kinds of nations that are going to exist. Goat nations and sheep nations. The, the primary distinction between a goat and a sheep nation how they treat the people of God. How they will you will find it in how they treat Israel and how they treat Christians. Goats will persecute, sheep will not. That's the primary difference between the two. So we're looking at the disposition of nations that will be for Christ or anti Christ. Now, what shapes nations? This is fascinating because if there's if there's a, a deception is what the enemy's after. If uh, if the Great Commission is what we're after? Then we are in a battle between truth and error for the American mind. That's what we're really doing. We're in a battle to see whether and this is the frustration when you when you hear the news like you were just saying tonight that there is almost like a casual so what when you find out that the violence and the disruption and the uh, and the um, disorder and chaos and lawlessness unleashed throughout entire summer of campaigning by Donald Trump was not his people or his message. It was organized, paid for, mob opposition, run like the mafia. And it's in the American political system, and it's in one party attacking another. And there was not a whimper out of Washington regarding pointing a finger. I was stunned at the indifference of uh, politicians, even Republican politicians, as to what was going on. Because they weren't particularly pleased with Donald Trump winning the nomination, so they didn't speak up about it. But what you have are the seven mind molds one two three four five six seven seven mind molars that shape culture the first one is the church the church establishes a beachhead the church is the religion mountain has to be i call it religion because if you're in iran it's going to be islam or pakistan will be islam if you're in the asian uh, China's going to be buddhism but the church when the church establishes a beachhead that is the first level of bringing a nation into the blessing of God by shaping and discipling the nation as a culture. What comes next after the... uh, These are the mind molders of culture. The seven mountains is what I call it. The second category of influence is the family. For centuries, Jews have been able to retain their distinctiveness in any country. The United States, for instance. They've only been 2.5% of our population. And yet, Jewish people have shaped culture from... uh, From science uh, to, you know, let's see, from Einstein to Bernstein to Seinfeld. From comedy to science to architecture to law. Jews have shaped the American culture. They've done it with only 2.5% of the population because they've been able to retain family and religious ties. So you can literally be a, a, a subculture within a larger culture and never deteriorate and protect yourself from what's out there. If you can maintain your traditions, if you can maintain your values, and so it's the bar mitzvah, the bas mitzvah, and it's the family ties that has been has enabled Judaism to survive and not become a, a religion assimilated by other countries, they can coexist in any nation because they are able to hold on to church and family. After church and family, you have education. What's happened in the United States is we have yielded territory. You guys know this. but This picture puts it together. Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Christian universities and schools for the training of men and women of God. You can't even be a Christian on the campus hardly in those places anymore. I know I was protested, and I just showed up to do one speech at Harvard. Because if you surrender these territories, here's what Jesus said, if the house is swept clean but not filled, it becomes seven times worse. And what's happening in America is there are seven institutional houses. Christianity once swept clean, but we didn't occupy it. And now we're watching in the place of Christianity a hostile takeover against Christians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Education. From uh, from uh, kindergarten all the way to, uh, to college. Uh, the laws that are shaped by the courts come from the government. So you've got government and you've got laws right there in the middle. Media, we have just found out. What a powerful and dangerous thing it is when the press that is supposed to be the instrument of telling the truth on something becomes the ideologic instrument of a political party. So now you have media, laws and government, education, shaping the American narrative. And then you bring in arts and entertainment. So this would be everything from sports, to, uh, to movies to fill the place and this is the other insidious thing about what's happening in America progressives those that have an ideology for America it's almost like a counterfeit religion it shows up everywhere you can't watch a football game without finding a progressive agenda being protested in your face so everywhere you look you're going to start to see this philosophy coming over America in order to reshape America. And then you have business over here, which is your financial sector, advertising, marketing, and business. As business goes, all seven go, because that's the economic backbone of any nation. There you have the seven mountains that shape culture, the seven mind-moulders that have to be discipled. What have we done, and where have we made a mistake? What the church has done is, to a great extent, it's walled itself off from engaging those other areas. Where are the gates of hell located? Have you ever thought about that? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Where are the gates located? The gates of hell are located wherever influence is consolidated. The gates of hell are over government. That's why there's warfare over presidential elections and over supreme court appointments. Because Satan is interested in having influence. Wherever there's a gate of influence, there hell is going to try to occupy who is sitting at that gate. Do you remember what uh, the devil said to Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when he tempted him in the wilderness? He said, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all this has been given to me. And I give it to whom I will. That's a fascinating statement. That means that the devil takes an intense interest in who is occupying world kingdoms, who are sitting at the seat who are sitting at the gates of influence. I suggest to you that the gates over government, the gates over media, the gates over arts, the gates over business, education, your communities, and even in the church. Satan is intensely interested in who has influence at those gates. And if it's up to him, he will plant people that will be subversive at the location of those gates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See how that works? So what does Donald Trump do? Well, basically what Donald Trump does, where you have a rigged game, where you have a system where big business is collaborating with government, and you've got your academia and your media all lined up, and it's one incestuous relationship kind of moving along with one idea or agenda, a wrecking ball is something that comes in that has no prior commitment to anyone other than the best interest of the country itself. That's why he's a threat. That's why he is an institutional adversary. Because he's not in anybody's pocket. He has no previous agreement to anyone except issue by issue what's in the best interest of the country as a whole. So when I started looking at this, I said, well, wait a second. Remember where Jesus talked about the tears?" And the wheat. Now this is a fascinating distinction. Jesus said that, uh, taught the parable to the public and then he tells his disciples in private. Here's the interpretation. While men slept, an enemy came and planted tares. Where? Where the wheat was. I want to suggest to you that every place where God has a potential hearts, Satan will attempt to plant people. To disrupt the
1: harvest.
2: Satan plants people. That's the parable of the tares. An angel's jobs are to uproot people who are lawless, who are influencing the culture. Now put that put that parable of the tares with this template. What does it tell you? Satan will seek to plant people at the top of institutional influence in every sphere that can shape the culture of a nation. Our job from now on is not just to intercede, but to be the church that actually shows up at the gates of influence. Think about that. I will build my church. Fascinating word. Jesus said, I will build my church. The translation of that is ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you pronounce it. I will build my church. Jesus didn't choose the word synagogue. He didn't choose the word temple. He didn't use a Hebrew word. He reached into Greek culture and Roman culture. and did something very radical as a rabbi. He said, I will build my governmental assembly. The word ekklesia is the word for called out citizens of a government. He's literally saying, I've got a movement where I'm going to call out my ecclesia or governing people. I will call them out from darkness into the kingdom and I'll position them. So that they are where the gates of hell are located. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. We're called to go where the gates are. That's why the fact that you've got a vice president like Mike Pence and an evangelical surrounding Donald Trump at the level that he's got right now. I'm telling you, his staff, the number one advisors, even the people that are the political advisors, they're flying under the radar of the Democrats. They didn't even realize they're born-again former staff members from Ted Cruz that are advising his candidacy. Now, here's the challenge. Even Christian leadership can't get its head clear on what's going on. It's one of the most bizarre things. 67% of evangelicals, are saying that they're they're clear-headed about uh, supporting a guy like Trump. What's shocking is, 40% of pastors are still undecided and struggling on what they're doing. That tells me 40% of the church is being improperly led. 40%
1: of
2: the church is being improperly led. The most interesting moment of silence I've ever heard at a gathering of a thousand even juggles in New York, when Donald Trump said that, uh, he said, Look, I've been meeting with Christians for the last year. He said, I'm uh, surprised at something. There's one thing that's come I've noticed consistently as I met with them. And I thought he was going to say their dedication, their love for America, their sincerity. He said, And that word is fear. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. You'd be surprised how many leaders are afraid that the government is going to become an adversary and come after them and attack them. He said, I propose that... He said, from my window, I could point out on 5th Avenue and any nut can get a soapbox and spout off whatever they want except for one category of profession and that's preachers. He said, people that have the Word of God aren't allowed to get on the soapbox and say anything. He said, how did that happen? He said, I propose... Then we repeal the Johnson amendment, that puts a gag order on the church and let the church have a voice. <laughs> now, what you're doing is what I thought would happen. Silence. Not a single... I mean, I would have done it, but it would have looked ridiculous. It would have been one person. So it's like, what? And then I realized something. I hate to say it. But a lot of religious leaders don't want controversy. Right. They don't want to have to have opinions because it costs them members and money. That's
1: right.
2: and so I predict the wrecking ball is right now hitting the Christian conversation. Right now, Donald Trump is prophetically doing what he's going to do. He's hitting the church. And I'm not one of those, and I'm glad that Jim Baker is neither. I'm not one of those Christian leaders that thinks that my primary business is to preserve my profession. My primary business is to proclaim the truth.
1: Mm-hmm. We
2: not only have to show up as an ecclesia, we have to train the next generation to be in media, be in arts, be in business. We need to teach them as Abraham taught his children to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And now you have a visual for what the head looks like. We need to occupy the gates that shape culture and not be intimidated by them, avoid them, or try to get raptured out of them.
1: Because there
2: is an anointing for nations. And I prophesy that there are angels already set to give Jesus... The labor and travail of his soul, when he came out of the tomb, Psalm 2, the first thing the Father said to him was, Ask of me, and I'll give you nations for your inheritance. Mm-hmm. This is the great unpreached sermon of the resurrection. Jesus wasn't promised souls, he already had them. He has that which the Father's given him. John 17, that those whom you have given me, I prayed not for the world, but for those whom you have given me. So he never prayed for the world. After his resurrection, the Father said, You did right, son. You focused on the treasure in the field, but now I've got plans for that field. I want nations for the inheritance. You have nations coming to you. And so Jesus, before He returns, is going to have nations. And trust me, those nations are going to be taken one mountain at a time, just like the ites had to be taken by the children of Israel when they crossed into the Promised Land. And God is not coming back until He has the victorious people with real estate that they possess. God bless you.
0: Amen. amen, amen. You know, what he said at the end goes along with Revelation 3, verse 9, right? What, what I had said earlier. You want to hear it again? Yeah, okay. But it, it, yeah. it goes along with the fact that that when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, what did he just say? It says in the Bible that sit there until I bring your enemies you know, as your footstool, bring these nations as your footstool. They will come in alignment. They will come under the influence of, if you will. So, so rest assured, this is an important time to do one thing. Stand in agreement with Jesus Christ over his will. Over his will. Not our agenda, but his will. And, and that's one thing, you know, when, when I, I prayed and I asked him, Lord, and a group of us did, how, how are we to pray for this election? Should we pray for, because I've shared with you before what, what God said to us about what's going to happen and all that. Should we pray for this to happen? Should we pray protection maybe over him and his family and this and that? He said, no. Pray for my will. Pray and stand in agreement for my will. The very thing that it says for us to do in the Word of God, to stand in agreement with Jesus Christ for His will. It's really simple. God makes it really simple. And if you're confused as to what to do when you get into the voting booth, stand in agreement with His will just ask Him He'll tell you don't be confused don't be afraid don't avoid voting but just ask Him He will show you because His agenda is bigger than us His plan is bigger than us bigger than the individual why? because He's got a lot to accomplish for His Son Before his son can come back, he's got a literal turnaround of this world. Do do you grasp that? See, it's got to start. At some point, it's got to start. So stand in agreement that we want your perfect will, Father, and we want your will only. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship You. We praise You. We thank You for who You are, God. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your investment in us. We thank You, God, that we can turn to You even when we don't have an answer. And we can proclaim to stand in agreement with Your will what You have written down in Your books. Well, Father, You have a book... For this nation. This nation was dedicated to you long before we were even a nation. The very first forms of government that were brought here with William Penn was set apart as a government that sought you. So the very original dedications, Father... We're desiring your will. We stand here right now in agreement as witnesses before your court that we say yes to your will. Yes to what you've written in the book for our lives. Yes to what you've written in your book of nations for this country. We say yes. We agree in wanting your will. Father, I pray that you work in our lives this morning because it all falls back to our intimacy with you and how we seek you in relationship. See, we don't have to be overwhelmed by what's spinning around us and the seemed chaos that's around us just have to seek you as you've said in Matthew 6 seek your righteousness seek the intimacy of relationship with you and we trust you Lord thank you so much in Jesus name amen I want to say one last thing before Alexis comes because I, I meant to say this before but you, you heard a few of this Things that Lance talked about on that video were things that I had said. I want to encourage you to understand that, you know, the word that the Lord gave me in terms of God is bringing a holy chaos, that wasn't something because I watched this video. I didn't see the video until a week after that. Okay, and, and why I wanted to show this this morning, why I felt the Lord wanted to show this, was these were confirmations of something that the Lord had spoken to me about and has spoken to many people about. So trust in what He's telling you. Trust in what he's, he, he, he wants to do in your life. If you're confused about this, ask Him and He'll show you.
3: Boy, I was thinking that same phrase can be applied just to our own lives. You know, if you're wrestling with how God is leading your life, it's really hard to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. You know, that's the famous phrase when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane. And as a human man, he was all God and all man, but the man side of him did not want to go through what he knew was coming around the corner. How many times have we wrestled with that in our own lives? We may be wrestling with that for our nation, but have you ever wrestled with that, with knowing that the Lord is leading you to draw closer to Him, to take another step toward Him, like that song Oceans compels us to do, and yet all of a sudden you're thinking, Yeah, but but I just got this this great job and the hours are on Sunday and you know, but I just got, you know, this opportunity or I just got into this relationship and and you and you're conflicted. Are we willing to lay down our own desires when we know that the Lord is leading us? Or do we just say, well, that's really not what God is saying. Because He just wouldn't do that. You know, he He wouldn't mess up this opportunity. Is that truth... Or do we try to fit God into a box that we want him to be in? So really, it's, it applies in so many levels. It applies for how we look at things with our with our nation, with our families, but personally as well. Can we say, it's probably one of the hardest phrases to, to say, is not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I am in agreement with you with whatever the path is. And certainly, when Jesus said it, it was because he knew, you know, What was coming was very difficult. Now, we don't always know. But if we did, would we still say that? You know, we often, I I know I often want to get as many prophecies as possible. Give me a prophetic word for the future. I'm really thankful I don't know the future. Because God hasn't equipped us to to handle what's in front of us, you know, beyond what, what we can handle, what he gives us to handle. He just gives us each step. And that's really good. We need him for that. But are we willing, no matter what, to lay down our own agendas and our own desires for Him? See, that's really where, and we've talked about this in the ladies' class, but that's really where you have to know how much God loves you and is for you. Because otherwise, just like the chaos that you see in the outside, you will see that, well, God, if He's, if he's going to take that from me, then He, he can't love me. If He's going to block this, this relationship when I'm, you know, I'm falling in love with this person and, and He's going to tell me this isn't Him... You know, all of a sudden, you can think God is not good. And boy, oh boy, if there's one thing Satan wants us to believe, it's that God isn't really for us. He's not really, you know, doesn't really love us and isn't really a good God and a good father. Satan's always trying to lie in those ways. But um, but we have to be able to see God for who he is. I'm so thankful. Um, I know for, um, even in relationships, I remember... um, being uh, engaged and God literally had to rip that person out of my life and I am so thankful I didn't know I felt like there was nothing around the corner at that particular time in my life I was clinging to that relationship so hard because in my limited view of life that was all I could see and that was my ticket out of where I was I had no idea the plans and this month we'll have been married 28 years and I had no idea that I would Hostess us in a restaurant in Virginia, and this really handsome guy would walk in, and then I met his friend, no. <laughs> his, no, he actually did, he walked in with his friend, and they were both really cute, but, decisions, decisions, I picked the right one, I picked the right one, <laughs> anyway, but you know, we do, you know, life is easy if you think, yeah, but, look at all that but, but we didn't you know in, in my reality that was my reality because that was all I could see and this is why we need God we need God because God has Jeremiah twenty nine eleven plans for us look that verse up and read it because that is his promise for your life plans to prosper you not to harm you right. he has a good good plan and uh, we're all at different stages of life and I think too for no matter what um, you know don't ever think you're at an age where that doesn't apply do you know the Daniel and the lions Den? I was just reading last night Daniel, that whole story of Daniel in the lion's den, he was 80 when he was thrown in the lion's den you might not realize, he was not a young man. We always think of that story as, well, he was a young man. Because, you know, we know that David was young with, with Goliath. But, but Daniel was not a young man during that particular story. And we often depict that as differently. So, again, God has, there is no, God doesn't even consider age. He couldn't for to call us to what he's called us to, as old as we are. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, we have some amazing um, uh, things that...